Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, They have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabbani, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. The Gospel of the Lord. Good morning, One Fellowship family and friends. My name is Paul Sorensen, and I am the senior pastor here. Before we dive into our passage on this Easter morning, would you do me a favor and bow your heads with me as I share one more brief word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, I pray, come Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the title of my message this morning is Jesus came to save the day. And I want to begin with this question. What has it been like being locked inside of your home? What has it been like being locked inside your home? You know, for some of us, it has been amusing. Just this last week, a friend of mine who's actually a dean of students at a grad school in Washington, D.C., posted this picture. And he wrote, every morning, the woman next to me in the cubicle comes downstairs and works in unicorn pajamas. 
For some of us, it hasn't been humorous. It's been frightening. As I was working from my house this week, all of a sudden the doorbell rang and all of the code red alerts in my body reacted. I thought to myself, who's trying to come and infect my family? And I looked out and who was it? But Cody Quinn. And (laughs) Cody was dropping off a gift for our son Blaze to use. These are some awkward basketball shoes that should help him increase his vertical leap so he can catch his brother in jumping. You see, some of us are taking this in a humorous way. Some of us are taking this lockdown in a frightening way. And yet others are really struggling in a sad sort of way. Last Sunday during our worship service, my wife started crying, weeping, and had to excuse herself from the room. I went and followed her and I said, Carly, what's going on? She goes, Paul, I love you, but I miss them. I miss our faith family. Perhaps you can relate to her sadness. You know, just over 2,000 years ago, the followers of Jesus faced a similar reality. Exhausted and frightened, they found themselves hiding behind locked doors, trying to make sense of what was going on around them. And as we consider this moment in the history of the world, and as we consider this morning, this Easter morning, what are we to take away? What hope can we hold on to? And I think it's this. No matter what comes our way, Jesus came to save the day, for he is risen from the grave. No matter what comes our way, Jesus came to save the day, for he is risen from the grave. Let's unpack these points over the next few minutes together. Point one, no matter what comes our way. We are living in difficult times. The U.S. Surgeon General Vice Admiral Jerome Adams issued a dire warning last Sunday to all Americans with these words. It's tragically fitting that we're talking at the beginning of Holy Week because this is going to be the hardest and the saddest week of most Americans' lives. This is going to be our Pearl Harbor moment, our 9-11 moment, only it's not going to be localized. It's going to be happening all over the country. And I want America to understand that. You see, if you're like me, it's very hard actually to understand and grasp his words. And yet whether we're rich or poor, black or white, married or single, young or old, faithful or faithless, born here or born elsewhere, this pandemic is impacting all of us. Just a few days ago, our daughter asked us, mom, dad, when will I be able to hang out with my friends again? And you know what we had to tell her? We don't 
know. We're living in difficult times. And this coronavirus is separating us. It's consuming us. And it's even killing us. Living in similar circumstances right after World War II, when global powers were manufacturing atomic bombs and holding the world hostage with the threat of impending death. C.S. Lewis penned these words in 1948 in an essay titled, On Living in an Atomic Age. And I believe they have relevance for us today. Quote, how are we to live in an atomic age? I'm tempted to reply, why? As you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year, or as you would have lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night, or indeed as you were already living in an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents, in other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. Death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. And this harsh truth from which we can no longer hide is actually what we read in the Bible. Death itself is not a chance at all. We read, it's a certainty. And it actually comes from something called sin. And now if this word causes you to cringe, please hang in there with me. For many of us, this word would have been used to guilt us or shame us into some sort of behavior modification or rigid living, right? But the Bible's use of this word sin is much more uh, complex than we might know. Did you know that the word sin is used over 350 times in our scriptures? And did you know that the word sin is often not a verb, but a noun in the Bible? Meaning sin is not simply what we do wrong or don't do right. Rather, sin is something we carry something we spread, something that lives in us, something that kills us, something like an infectious disease. For instance, in Romans 5, verse 12, we read, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world, Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. The 16th century reformer John Calvin put it like this, all of us who've descended from impure seed are born infected with the contagion of sin. And if we're honest, we all know this, don't we? We know that the darkness doesn't simply exist outside of our homes and our hearts where we're being encouraged to wear a mask to shop to protect ourselves from contaminants, where we're being advised to spray down or wipe down every package that comes to our door, where we're being told to wash our hands to cleanse ourselves from impurities. In light of this moment, all of these precautions are 
fitting, but in light of eternity, they're not enough. We are all infected with a virus called sin. And the more time we spend with ourselves during this pandemic, the more this truth is becoming clear, isn't it? A mentor shared these words with me this week. It feels like we're all being cracked open like a coconut and our lives are spilling out, both good and bad. And let me just share a little from my story. As I've tried to minister from home, as I've tried to work from home, it seems all these things come against me. For instance, I'll sit down to work on a sermon and before you know it, it seems like all the leaf blowers and weed whackers just circle my house and I can't concentrate. And then uh, if they leave, next thing you know, uh, Caden and Blaze, our sons, might get in a fight. And before you know it, Sailor might come and say, Dad, I got this new dance for you. And I should be this supportive, loving dad in these moments, right? But if you've ever seen someone run a long race where steam starts to just come off of their body, by mid-morning working from home, it seems like everyday steam is coming off of my body. I'm short-circuiting. I'm not being kind or gentle or loving. All I want to do is rip off my clothes and run away. Can you relate? You see, we're all facing difficult times. And it's not just out there. It's right here. Which leads me to point two. Jesus came to save the day. This past week, a friend of mine shared a story about living in this moment with his family, specifically his son. And I think we can all relate to it. So let me share. He writes, this afternoon was tough. Charlie, 10, and I worked outside this afternoon to get our garden started. We didn't get as much done before supper as I wanted to, but he was a champ and was very helpful. But something changed at dinner. His attitude turned sour and I made him leave the table because he was being a jerk. A bit later, Dietz asked him if he wanted to have a do-over and come back to the table. At first he said no, but then he whimpered as he said he would. He was a mess the rest of dinner. Then he started to cry seemingly for no reason. And I could tell there was something more to what was going on. I took him to another room, sat down, and gave him a big hug and asked him what was really wrong. I could tell he was trying not to cry. I told him to just let it go because we all need a good cry sometimes. And he started bawling. He cried it out for a good bit, and then he just whimpered, I'm just scared for our family, and I don't want anyone to get sick. And that was hard. I'm a grown man, and all I could say was, I know, buddy, I am too. And cry with him. If you guys are having as hard of a time processing this whole virus crisis as I am, then remember that when you get ill-tempered with those around you. This thing is throwing us all out of whack. Give those kids a little more grace and a lot more hugs. I think if we're honest, a lot of us could use a big dose of grace 
and a lot more hugs right now. The same was true of Mary Magdalene and the early disciples. As they were scared and devastated on this exact day, just over 2,000 years ago. Their leader, Jesus, who they believed was the promised Messiah in the line of King David, who they had hoped would bring swift justice and deliverance from the evil around them, had just been mocked, beaten, and buried in a tomb. In fact, we read in our passage that the disciples were hiding behind locked doors, fearing for their own lives. But where the understanding of the disciples failed, God's love prevailed. In the words of theologian N.T. Wright, quote, world history turned its corner when Jesus died on the cross and then rose again three days later. You see, Jesus didn't come into our world to take lives. No, Jesus came into our world to save lives. Yes. How? By giving his life as the ultimate donor. In, in, excuse me, in quoting the prophet Isaiah, Peter would later summarize the sacrifice of Jesus with these words. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And the apostle Paul would later write these words to the Romans. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright, excuse me, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Friends, this is such good news, such game-changing news. What this is saying is though, though we are all infected with sin, Jesus, through his sacrifice, provides us the cure. Even more, the Bible says his sacrifice has eternal ramifications. We read in John 3, 16 and 17 these words, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now catch this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And before you go off thinking that Easter is some fairy tale, consider these testimonies from a former Harvard law professor and the former Lord Chief Justice of England. First, from the late Dr. Simon Greenleaf, former law professor at Harvard. According to the laws of legal evidence used in courts of law, there is more evidence for the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ than for just about any other event in history. And next from Lord Darling, former Lord Chief Justice of England. In its favor as living truth, 
there exists such overwhelming evidence, positive and negative, factual and circumstantial, that no intelligent jury in the world could fail to predict, excuse me, could fail to bring in a verdict that the resurrection story is true. So here we are, all of us facing a moment, all of us on this Easter morning. Many of us locked behind uh, doors just like the disciples and locked in our hearts with fear and uncertainty. And yet the resurrection changes everything. The resurrection of Jesus changed everything for the early disciples and moved them from horror to hope, from loss to love, from panic to peace. And here's the thing from our story that is so astonishing, considering all the need for ventilators to fight the coronavirus. Did you catch that after bringing the disciples uh, peace and joy, our scripture says Jesus breathed on them. This is the same language we read from Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, where out of the dust man was formed and God breathed life into him. You see, at this very moment, on this very moment, God wants to, you, to move you and move me from a place of horror to a place of hope. From a place of loss to a place of love. From a place of panic to a place of uh, peace. He wants to breathe new, eternal life into you and me. Friends, no matter what comes our way, Jesus came to save the day, for he is risen from the grave. I'd like to close by reading a hymn written by John Newton. Now, John Newton wrote the famous hymn, Amazing Grace, but this is a lesser known hymn titled, How Lost Was My Condition. How lost was my condition till Jesus made me whole. There is but one physician can cure a sin-sick soul. Next door to death he found me and snatched me from the grave to tell all around me his wondrous power to save. The worst of all diseases is light compared with sin. On every part it seizes but rages most within. Tis palsy, plague, and fever in madness all combined, in none but a believer the least relief can find. From men, great skill professing, I sought a cure to gain, but this proved more distressing and added to my pain. Some said that nothing ailed me, some gave me up for lost, thus every refuge failed me, and all my hopes were crossed. At length, this great physician, how matchless is his grace, accepted my petition and undertook my case. First gave me sight to view him, for sin my eyes had sealed, then bit me look unto him. I looked, 
and I was healed. A dying, risen Jesus, seen by the eye of faith, at once from danger frees us and saves the soul from death. Come then to this physician, his help he'll freely give. He makes no hard condition. To Jesus, look and live. Friends, please join me as we close this time in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would look at all of our conditions right now and you would save us. You would heal us. You would fill us with love and joy and peace. And we would leave this time this morning as people of hope with new life breathed into us, which can only come through you, Jesus. For those of you who've never cried out to Jesus, never trusted in Jesus, I invite you to say, yes, Lord, I believe in you. I believe you lived, died, and rose again to heal me and to free me from my sin. And I want to trust and obey you all the days of my life. We pray in Jesus' name.